Welcome to When They Popped. Let's rewind to a simpler time together and dive deep into the music, movement, and mania behind our favorite Y2K celebrities and trends. Hosted by Kelsey and Mary, it's time for another episode of When They Popped. Hello, and welcome to When They Popped. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Mary. Before we jump in today's episode, we need to share with you guys this new Etsy shop that we are obsessed with. It's called Aeropop Boutique. Aeropop specializes in creating products inspired by pop culture from every era, from t-shirts to tumblers and tote bags with the promise of more products to come as they continue to grow. Aeropop is perfect for anyone looking to add a touch of nostalgia to their daily lives, aka all of us. Aeropop Boutique is an Etsy shop that is dedicated to all things nostalgia, just like when they popped. The owner, Kelly, gifted us some goodies because we wanted to test it out for you all. I requested an in-sync tumbler because I am living and breathing all things boy bands and it exceeded all expectations. Kelsey got a Lizzie McGuire t-shirt that not only is super cute and comfy, but felt like fate after we stand Lizzie on our recent Hillary Duff episode. Aeropop also boasts products featuring pop royalty in our favorite movies, shows, and figures from Y2K. Kelly wanted to look out for her fellow When They Pop listeners and is offering a 10% discount to Aeropop. Run, don't walk, people. Use the code Y2KPOP, that's Y2KPOP, all one word, to get 10% off your Aeropop order and support a fellow creative nostalgia lover. You can find and follow the shop on TikTok and Instagram at Aeropop Boutique, and we will link the store in today's episode's notes. Love! Love it. Check out Aeropop, everyone. Let's dive into today's episode. And as always, before we jump into our episode, quick disclaimer that we do not own or claim to own the rights to the songs or performances in this episode. The purpose of these clips is for commentary and critique. Now, I have a question. How many of you all have this man's voice permanently tattooed in your minds forever? Think your favorite blinged out Hollywood star spends a lot of dough? Think again. Because when it comes to lavish living, nobody brings it on like the billionaires. Because I know when I hear this man's voice, I'm immediately transported back to a simpler time. Maybe you were in middle school or high school. Boy bands, pop princesses, flip phones, and low-rise flared jeans were all the rage. Let's return to this incredible time together as Kelsey and I discuss the background of the VH1 series, The Fabulous Life of dot, 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 (laughs) and run through some of our favorite episodes and moments with our favorite stars. I mean, honestly, I just wouldn't want anybody else to call me poor in a British accent. If you're going to be called poor, it better be in a proper British tone. I love it so much. And I might try to do a little impression here and there in today's episode. I apologize in advance. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait to hear that. Now, (laughs) this VH1 reality series takes viewers inside the pampered world of superstars. It's a fast-paced, first-class ride through a life of luxury where custom-made is a given and the VIP treatment is nonstop. In each episode, it pieces together interviews, investigative segments, and exclusive footage to present a glimpse into the rich and famous. And this show was a real eye-opener for me because, like, holy shit, I knew celebrities were living the high life, but I did not realize how high. I know. Before we got photos of celebs walking onto their private jets with their Birkins on Instagram, you know, this show was all we had. We didn't have social media to show us the fabulous life, so we relied on VH1 to tell us all about it. 
That's what I was thinking. Something I loved about this show was like all this paparazzi video that we got. And like, yeah, we'd see paparazzi shots in magazines or on Perez Hilton. But like, we didn't get live video of celebs all the time Mm. like we have now. And so this show provided that. I know we mentioned the famous voice behind this show. And it is mostly narrated by Christopher Flockton. And In our research and (laughs) revisiting some of these episodes that were not easy to find, let me tell you, Kelsey and I noticed that he wasn't always the voice behind every single episode. There was a woman with a similar kind of hoity-toity British accent that was mixed in for a few episodes, especially in the beginning. I feel like, however, Christopher's voice is the one that we all remember and associate with this show. Yeah, same. When we were watching the videos that are available on YouTube, I was like, this can't be right. (laughs) Who who is this? (laughs) This is a woman. Like, it's not the man that I remember that I associate. The fabulous life. Mm. This show had a pretty long tenure. It ran from May 2003 to December 2014. And in that time span, we got seven seasons. Some of the celebrities covered in this show include, but are not limited to, Leo and Giselle. Hollywood It Girls, which this episode alone included Mandy, Paris, Nicole, Lindsay Lohan, Misha Bartlett, and Scarlett Johansson. We got a Harry and Will episode, Angelina Jolie, Celebrity Pets, Women of Desperate Housewives, Martha Stewart, Pam Anderson, Michael Jackson, Jen and Brad, Angelina and Brad, Mariah and Nick, and that's just to name a few. The Range. Wow. What a snapshot at where we were that Giselle and Leo were still together and that Misha Barton was still like an it girl and Desperate Housewives, Jen and And, Brad. Oh, my God. And then Angelina and Brad. Like, the show was around (laughs) long enough to do both of their relationships like crazy so speaking of the timing if my research is right i think the show originally aired 2003 to 2008 and then it came back for one season in 2014 i feel like i remember seeing some headlines around how you know the iconic show is coming back and i was thinking about why they probably took that hiatus and why the show came to an end originally and if any of you guys listen to our juicy couture episode you can probably infer that it's a similar reason for why juicy the label sort of saw its downfall it was probably a wise idea for a show about insane excess and frivolous spending to stop during the recession economic downturn in 2008 to 2009. So when this show was out in the early 2000s, I was all over it. I never missed an ep. It was the era of ostentatious wealth and <laughs> designer labels, the bigger the bag, the closer to God. (laughs) Like it was just so fun. Here's the thing I wanted to ask you, Kelsey. I don't know how true all of this is like right uh, like how where do they get this information who are their sources so like i'm regurgitating this but like some of the things they were saying i was like how do they know this like are you kidding right. me a but lot of the people they interview seem to be the gossip mag authors, the writers mm-hmm. of the time. But a lot of it is also sometimes I felt like I was watching a commercial for the year 2001 <laughs> because they had a lot of the designers of the products that the yes. celebrities would wear and show people this is the shoe that you need to buy if you want to look like Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. So it was really wonderful product placement. And I feel like it was, you know, kind of early on in the game, like the Juicy Couture model, where once a celebrity was 
photographed wearing something, everyone would want to flock to buy it. Exactly right, Kels. And mm. as we mentioned, Mary and I did our best to find some of the original episodes from the series, but they've been seemingly scrubbed from the interwebs except for a select few. But even so, we're going to recount some of our favorite episodes because don't we all want to feel a little more fabulous? <laughs> so Mary... I can't wait to hear the ones that you found. If you all know me by now, you know I would not be able to do an episode like this and not touch on a woman I love with all my heart. And also, she actually happened to have the very first episode of The Fabulous Life. And it's the one, the only, Brittany. It's Brittany, bitch. And this came out on June 27th, 2003. So Brittany Spears had already released her Baby One More Time album in 99. Oops, I Did It Again in 2000. And her self-titled album in 2001. So she is in the midst of, I'd like to say, a long-term popping off. She has popped and she is still popping. And she was likely right on the verge of releasing her newest album, which came out in 2003 as well, In The Zone. But this first story really blew my mind. They talked about how there is something called a falcon jet that is usually reserved for world leaders, princess, that type of person. And it usually goes out for 5000 an hour. And apparently, Brittany, she had a different jet she would fly in. That wasn't her jet to fly. She would use it to go get her favorite coffee. Kelsey, have you heard of coffee bean? Coffee bean and tea leaf? They just called it coffee bean in the show, but maybe yeah. it is. I believe when she was traveling away from the West Coast, she, I guess, would send someone on the plane to pick up her favorite coffee from Coffee Bean. Coast to coast coffee runs is how they described it. And for 5000 an hour, I mean, I guess we weren't as environmentally in check back then, but I just, they led right off with that and I could not believe it. <laughs> The shock value. They really hooked us in. <laughs> so let's move on to some of the girly stuff. Let's start with her hair. Her hairstylist ran up typically about 6000 a day. And this hairstylist apparently uses $3,000 handmade scissors imported from Japan to cut the hair of Miss Britney Spears. And moving right up, Britney's has beautiful skin. And they went to the woman who they said was behind the skin of Britney Spears. And that's a name that I see quite often now. And I don't know if I'm going to say it correctly, but it's Sonia Dakar. And she would often do a $4,000 treatment on Britney when she would come in for facials. And that included her diamond microdermabrasion wand, casual 4K for a facial, no big deal. And I know Sonia has a salon in Beverly Hills now and her own skin product line. So she's doing just fine. They talked about Britney's vacations, how she'd always go to Vegas, stay at the Palms Hotel, real world suite. That's a throwback. Oh my God, if those walls could talk. I know. I feel like that room is probably so dirty after I don't all. know if anyone want to stay there exactly. No. They also talked about Brittany going to Hawaii. And we all know Brittany loves to escape to Hawaii. And so that one checks out for me. They also talked about her security. You know, someone like Brittany Spears needs a lot of security. And one name they mentioned that stood out was Big Rob. Any Jonas Brothers fans here, we see and hear Big Rob on Burning Up. He has a little rap. Rob for real. Yes. That's no lie. And he's still head of security for the Jonas Brothers. He's been with them for many years. He was with Brittany for many years and was just known as being a really sweet guy and just had nothing but incredible things to say about her. But eventually he was seemingly phased out, unfortunately, when her dad started taking more control of her life and who was in it. Another part of Brittany's security back in the early 2000s, which I had no idea 
was her $30,000 German Shepherd that she had. And this was a special German Shepherd, obviously, if it's $30,000. It had guard dog training for three years before, you know, it's allowed to go into a home or to be bought. And it understood commands in two or three different languages. It was a very smart guard dog for the Princess of Pop. So I get it. Of course, they have to get a little raunchy. They talk about Cosabella thongs. Quote unquote, when Britney buys, she buys in bulk. That's me like trying to do a London accent, but I can't. And it's made of the same material as wedding veils. And she would often buy, you know, 20 at a time in all different colors. They didn't give the price. I was like, well, that's the whole point of this thing. Why aren't you telling me how much these songs were? But I'm assuming it's a lot. And then, you know, some of these reporters go on to talk about Britney's spending habits. You know, it was reported she spent $20,000 in 45 minutes at Gucci in London. She spent $25,000 in 40 minutes at Tiffany's. And there's a store called, I'm not sure if it's still there, called Chrome Hearts in Los Angeles. And it's reported that Brittany went in and spent $100,000 there on chic biker wear. And I direct you to that picture. Where she's, she's in all leather. I think it's when she gives Michael Jackson some sort of award. And she's in like a leather skirt, a leather top, oh, a leather yeah, hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That apparently is from Chrome Hearts. And that is what chic biker wear is, I guess. So then we move right along and we meet Kurt and Bart. And these were her personal stylists at the time who make one-of-a-kind looks for B. And they said, sometimes, you know, we'll spend months and months on an outfit for her to wear to 20 minutes. And they said, besides obviously working for Britney Spears would be one of the coolest gigs ever. They also were really inspired by her physique. And amen. <laughs> like, same. Me too. Like, I get Who it. Who is it? Who is it? <laughs> Notably, they were behind one of our favorite Britney outfits, that nude bodysuit that she wore at the VMAs. I can't get no yes. that one. Then, of course, they have to get into real estate. And, you know, she has her NYC apartments four-story, four-bedroom, $3.5 million penthouse. She has another $1 million apartment in New York City that she actually bought and gave to her brother. She has a million-dollar pad in Florida, which actually recently just sold during the course of her conservatorship. They also mention Serenity, which is her house in Kentwood, Louisiana, which one of the reporters referred to as a Kentwood Graceland, an homage to Elvis, but there's 20 foot spiky gates, a recording studio, a giant pool. And she ultimately gave it to Lynn, her mother, and bought it for $4.5 million. This was kind of known as being Britney's retreat and escape for when things got kind of a little bit too much out in Hollywood. She would go and regroup herself back in Louisiana. Okay, so not only is she a singer, an actress, and an author, this woman had a ton of sponsorships. And these are not little sponsorships. We're talking McDonald's. We're talking milk and Pepsi. And I need to spend a minute on Pepsi. She received $7 million for her Pepsi sponsorship alone. And she earned every single cent of that. Let me tell you, this is one of my favorite ad campaigns of all time. She signed this contract with Pepsi in 2000. And we got a couple commercials from her. So my favorite one I want to talk about came out in 2001. It's called The Joy of Pepsi. <laughs> So this video features Britney singing and dancing in like what seems to be a Pepsi factory. And she starts off in this like baggy Pepsi delivery guy outfit and turns around and rips it off. And she has these flare jeans, bra, crop top combo on like 
Let me tell you, I could not take it. She has this big dance scene with her and like 30 other dancers. It's all choreographed by Wade Robinson. And we get all these close-up cut-ins of her face. And she's just like smiling, laughing. This music video and this music video alone inspired me to get my belly button pierced because she just looked so good. And I was like, I want to look like that. <laughs> this is the one that's like, ba da ba 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 that one, right? The giant Pepsi. Yes. And it, it was a literally a two-minute commercial. They set it up like it was a music video. Kelsey, you obviously know this one. Did this song have as much of an impact on you as it did me? I mean, of course. But I don't want to ruin your notes. I know that you illegally downloaded it. I think you said that during your... Oh, yes. I mean, I still have it on my phone. Like, I, I will listen to it. I just remember every time this commercial would come on, I'd be like, oh, my God, I want to just play this song. I just wish it was like a real song and a little bit longer. Like she looks yeah. perfect in this video. Oh my! Like, I can't get like over genuinely it. like perfect. Probably one of my favorites of her of all time. She looks her best. She looks happy. It's a great song. It's great choreography. I mean, show me a better commercial, honestly. But <laughs> you can't. <laughs> honestly, you, you can't. can't. But the other one that I also like, it's just not as special to me as the Pepsi Generation commercial. We see Britney as a star and singing in each generation. You know, it starts in black and white. She's at like this drive-in fast food place. And they put on the screen, I mean, 1960, and she's kind of dressed like someone in that time would be and sings in a beat and in a tone that's of the 60s. The lively crowd, today agrees. Those who think young say Pepsi, please. Pepsi. For those who think young. And then the next one's 63, and she's like performing in American Grandstand, and she has this like poofed up voluminous hair. And then 1966, we finally get color, and she's in this like pink one piece. Pepsi's got that special taste for the I just love how they're going through the generations and like a lot of attention to detail to match the actual time. And in 70, we get like Lovestock, Hippie Britney. She has this long, straight hair. We even see a young Jamie Lynn make an appearance in this era as well. 80s, we get her like cover of Super Irresistible. Super Irresistible. She has a short, slicked back blonde hair and like this black, very 80s suit. And then ah, we come to the modern times and it's just like this poppy Max Martin sounding beat. It's like this culmination of the song. Turn me up. I can feel the joy all around each generation. I start it back their own kind of sound. Shout it out. She's in this parking lot with her dancers, flare jeeves, crop top, her hair's like modern very like layered, blunt edges, I would say. And it's just so well done. And that's where we get Pepsi for those who think young. Pepsi for those who think young. 
and she does that wink and it's just it's so iconic. Her Pepsi work really was like, I think the best. I feel like Pepsi is always associated with these iconic commercials. You know, we didn't have streaming. It was just no. watching TV and you'd see the same three commercials every single hour. And I just never was upset when it was a Britney Pepsi commercial is all I can say. I, I remember my dad would watch like baseball games and I'd be like, if the Pepsi commercial comes on, call me. And I'd be like playing in the backyard because that's like what you did back in the day. And he'd be like, it's on. And I'd be like running in trying because, you know, we can't Google. Like I can watch it a thousand times on YouTube now. But, you know, back then, if it came on, that was might be the only chance you saw it that week. So cute. It was very special. But okay, let me get off my Britney Pepsi soapbox and hit on a few other ways that she made some of her moolah. At the time, she also had a Britney Spears doll line. So they showed it. It looked kind of like very Barbie-esque to me, but like Britney. And it was the most successful toy and merchandising deal ever done with a single artist. And her Britney doll sold 60,000 units in just the first three weeks of its release. And they had the owner on and he was like, Britney Spears has made me a lot of money and I have made a lot of money for Britney Spears. Um, (sighs) So it sounds like those did pretty well. And they referenced her charity work, her philanthropic work. They mentioned how she donated $1 million to the children of 9-11 victims and over 500000 to her camp for children of the performing arts. Britney sponsored this camp for a couple years via her own Britney Spears Foundation that she formed in 1999. And the purpose of this camp was to give underprivileged children the opportunity to immerse themselves in performing arts. I was just reading some articles about it, and she had... Some of the people we're talking about, you know, like Wade Robinson, people like that come and work with the kids. So they were working with the best of the best. And by the end of the week, they would put on kind of a little bit of a talent show for Britney. She'd come and watch. I know. Talk about that pressure. A little drama controversy that I had totally forgot about, but was reminded of when researching this was that Taylor Swift herself did actually attend this camp in 2003. but. The controversy is, as most of us know, like Taylor did not grow up underprivileged or wanting. And so I just think it's a little interesting that she found her way into that camp. I know. I did not know that. Like, how did she get in? And maybe it's totally innocent. Maybe it's totally innocuous. It's just like it's a camp for the underprivileged. And like there's Taylor Swift. So I just mm. I, I love Taylor. I don't know how that happened. But um. Maybe she was like a junior counselor. We'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Sure. I'm all for giving the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) So in 2002, she was actually declared the most powerful celebrity on the planet by Forbes. And the show estimated that by the time she was 21, she had a net worth over 50 million. And this is just something I've always felt like even in her conservatorship day when they estimate her wealth, it just seems so low to me. I know. Well, it was 2003 when they the show came out. So 50 million with inflation today is 80 million. I mean, that's not that bad when she was only 21, you know? I guess that's pre-residency. And I don't think her perfume had come out yet. And she's spending a lot. I don't know how net worths work. I think it takes into account like your properties and all that too. That's true. But she's just giving them away willy-nilly to her family. <laughs> leeches but i would officially like to wrap up season one episode one and my first episode britney spears let's move right on to 
The next one that I'd like to touch on is Miss Jennifer Lopez. And now for this episode, we do have Christopher Plocker narrating the episode and all feels right in the world. This is the fourth episode of season one. It was also released in 2003. And so this episode came out right after Jennifer Lopez had released her best-selling album of the time, This Is Me Then. It boasted iconic singles like I'm Glad, All I Have, and Jenny from the Block. Children also right on the heels of her movies, The Wedding Planner and Made in Manhattan. Those came out in 2001 and 2002, respectively. Those are like the best movies ever. <laughs> I was going to say, she was like popping. This was like a big time for J-Lo. So. She was the same character in every movie that she's ever been in, but yes. I love her. So this episode kicks right off. They refer to Jennifer as a modern day queen. And as an economy in herself, because they talked about the entourage that she would bring along with her. And they said, you know, there are people whose livelihoods are just based on responding to her beck and call. Like it is a 24 hour job because Jennifer is a 24 hour person. That was a direct quote. And I was mm. like, yes, yeah, so am I. I'm a 24 hour person, too. Like, what are you talking about? That's but, like a Beyonce quote when she's like, if I'm not sleeping, nobody's sleeping. Yeah. At one time, she boasted up to 20 bodyguards and two personal chefs. And honestly, I would be over the moon with just one personal chef, but I digress. And this was another interesting one because they have to get scandalous sometimes. They allege that she hired a nipple tweaker <laughs> for her Jenny on the Black music video to keep the nips looking perky. Someone you know? else had to do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she hired someone to do it. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Whatever. That's what they said. So this one stuck out to me. At the time, her hair was cut by someone that they said is considered one of the world's greatest hairstylists. He only goes by one name, Oribe. And oh, he has such a so good. Yeah, such a luxurious brand. Jennifer paid him fifteen thousand dollars for her pre-wedding haircut. So which wedding? <laughs> um, we do not know what wedding they were talking about. So, but you guys get it because how can we keep track? And then they mentioned her makeup artist at the time, Scott Barnes. And when I say makeup artist, I say that literally because he used to be an oil painter and. He custom made all of the makeup that he used on Jen. Like that's bananas. Okay. That's amazing. Imagine the color match. Oh, right. <laughs> the shade match would just be like, oh, chef's he kiss. knows his color wheel. Finally, they mentioned another name that you all probably know. Anastasia. Did I say that right? Or is it Anastasia? I've heard both. Anastasia. Anastasia. You tell I've me. I've even heard Anastasia. Oh, my God. There's so many options. But the lady with the eyebrow, who does the <laughs> eyebrow, she, I use her eyebrow crayon, you know, like everybody uses her for their eyebrows. She says she drops everything and flies cross country to do JLo's eyebrows whenever she needs her. They didn't give a price tag on that, but she said there's more than a few zeros for her to do that is how she put it. They, they talked about some of the places that Jennifer likes to go out to dinner. They talked about the Pearl restaurant in Miami. The owner of the restaurant said it's quite typical for JLo to order multiple $5,000 of Christelle over to her table for her dinner. Um, they talked about the Ivy in Los Angeles, how she would go there. 
And it's so funny. I used to go there when I was younger. I used to like go there with my dad to like celebrity stock. I like never saw anybody good, but I always wanted to go to the Ivy. But they said that quite often, especially at the Ivy, that staff would be dispatched to go and stand in front of JLo and just like hold up menus or newspapers when she opted to sit on the patio outside to block her from the paparazzi. And they actually had showed videos of these like servers just standing there holding menu books open. So people couldn't see J-Lo eating with Chris Judd. That's too bad it can't happen now. Like, no matter where celebrities go, like, someone's going to take a photo of you and you're going to end up in Dumois. When I went to L.A. for the first time in middle school, I really wanted to go to the Ivy, too, because (laughs) it was always in Perez Hilton photos. We were down in San Diego, but we would go up to L.A. I would always want to go to Kitson, Lisa Klein, and the Ivy. Yes. Those are like the Y2K hotspots. But okay. They talked about some of the hotels. She liked to stay out in Miami. You know, more of the same. But this one really stuck out to me. And it was when they talked about when she would go to New York. And they talked about what she would do with her dogs when she would travel. And so the dog mom in me jumped on this. And they referenced a place called the Canine Carriage Hotel. And this is in New York City. Jennifer's Cocker Spaniel Boots is a regular there. At the time, it cost 250 a night. They spoke with the owner and he talked about Boots' stay. And he said, Boots had a workout on a treadmill, had a delicious Asian chicken stir fry for dinner, and a reflexology and massage therapy session. This pooch is more pampered than most people. <laughs> Must be fun traveling with your famous mom. <laughs> and I obviously like looked into this dog hotel immediately because I was like, this is amazing, but it is closed down, unfortunately. And then they talked about a man we all know and love, Herb Ritz. He was everywhere back in this era. And I mean, he's since passed away, unfortunately, but I think he would still be everywhere now if he was still alive. He's worked with a ton of our favorites. And at the time, it was $75,000 a day to shoot with the Herb Ritz. And so get this, Jennifer actually hired him for a day of shooting for some personal shots. And he actually took some nude photos of her for her now hubby, then boyfriend, Ben Affleck's 30th birthday. Like, what? Let me hire one of the most famous photographers in the world to take $75,000 nudes (sighs) for my boyfriend for his 30th. Like, those have got to be A-plus boudoir. All we have today is just the humble iPhone. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) A humble mirror selfie. (laughs) But they then went into her real estate a little bit. They talked about her South Beach mansion with eight bedrooms, 12 baths, 11 fireplaces. Also, who needs 11 fireplaces in Miami? And she got that for $9.5 million. She also has a 10,000-square-foot villa in the Hollywood hills this was a five million dollar mansion that she completely knocked down and rebuilt it more or less from the ground up she only kept the roof which i don't understand how you keep the roof what? and not everything else down but they referenced a sixteen thousand dollar per month west village apartment for while she was filming made in manhattan and a $26,000 per month philadelphia apartment that her and ben lived in while shooting jersey girl They also mentioned her cars. She has a $100,000 Jaguar, $150,000 Aston Martin, $350,000 Bentley, which is apparently her favorite that happened to be gifted to her by none other than X-Flame P. Diddy. They also referenced a $225,000 Ferrari Spider that she seemingly, allegedly bought on a whim with Ben. 
Hmm. Bought on a whim. That's I'm a- buying something on a whim. It's like a unique greeting card for someone that's going to sit in a drawer. Yes. One of the commentators on the show mentioned that since dating Ben, Jen's spending has definitely increased. And they said that they seem to try to one up each other with their gifts. It's typical for Jennifer. They said to spend about twenty to thirty thousand in an hour when she'll go shopping. And then they got into J-Lo's jewelry. They talked about her three-carat diamond studs that were worth $20,000 a stud. She has a $20,000 ruby cross, a Harry Winston bracelet that was a gift from Ben worth $50,000. They called her the next Elizabeth Taylor because she was amassing quite a diamond collection. And of course, they talked about the pink engagement ring from Ben. It was between four and a half and five carats, had no flaws, and was one of the most precious stones in the world. And that cost him a casual $1.5 million. And I remember just falling out of my chair when that pink engagement ring surfaced on the news. That was insane. I know. Everybody wanted a pink diamond after that. They wrapped up this episode talking about Jennifer Lopez, the brand, and kind of trying to tally her estimated net worth, just like they did with Britney. In 2003, J-Lo had been in quite a few movies, some that had done better than others, but she commanded approximately $12 million movie at that time. You know, she was a pop star. She was the only woman at the time to have a number one movie and number one album at the same time. So she was popping in this era. She makes approximately $3 million an album, and she also had a production company. She was developing a sitcom for an NBC series based on her childhood. She had just opened a restaurant, Madre's, in L.A. in 2002. You know, they had a two, three-week wait list, everybody just wanting to get some of that J-Lo energy. And at that time, she had a clothing line. It raked in $130 million in 2002. On top of that, she had her perfume Glow and pulled in $2 million a year just in, like, J-Lo posters and just general Damn. merch. I know. And on top of that, she had sponsorships with Coca-Cola, Subaru. I had no Subaru. Idea. I know. Subaru. Being a freaking Subaru around. I need to like try to like find a JLo Subaru commercial. Like, That's is hilarious. it out there? But they said in 2002, they suspected that JLo earned approximately $37 million. Damn. So go JLo. Finally, the w- final episode I wanted to touch on and that I could find <laughs> was Posh and Bex. And this was also in the first season, episode nine, also out in 2003. Important to remember how huge of a couple they were at the time. Like they're still huge now, but like she was a pop star and he was the best soccer player in the world and super duper hot and one of the cute Little lines they used in this episode, spend it like Beckham. I love that. Of course, they always have to start these episodes off with some shock value, right? So they say in 2002, during the World Cup in Japan, a Japanese fan went to the hotel David was staying at and snuck in to every single room in the hotel to lick every single toilet in the hotel to ensure that she did indeed lick David Beckham's toilet. Ooh. I don't know how you like break into all the like, how do you do that? How does she get into every (laughs) single room? That's freaking weird. But kind of goes to show like how much of a superstar he was and they were together at the time. I don't know if you remember this, but like what David did with his hair was like so important. And he was always mixing in these new styles and new looks. People went crazy with whatever David was doing with his hair. He would typically spend $12,000 on a haircut. 
That boggles the mind. Victoria, her extensions cost approximately $8,000 every 10 weeks. So that's approximately $40,000 a year. Oh, baby. They talked about their wedding, and it obviously took place in a castle and cost approximately $800,000. Victoria had a Vera Wang dress that was $80,000 and went along with a $30,000 corset. I feel like everybody needs to go and Google their wedding photos immediately. It's like, 90s meets Victorian doll meets like fairy vibes (laughs) like Victoria's hair was like short and spiky and she had this tiny little crown on her head it's just like the most hilarious expensive looking wedding ever it's also a reminder like they've been together for so long like the 90s that's an eternity in Hollywood my goodness 1994 so they're coming up on like their 30 year yeah wow (laughs) I know so now they're moving to Miami I think or live here now but back in the day they obviously spent most of their time across the pond in Beckingham Palace as the British press dumped Mm -hmm. it it was a 25 acre estate it has a recording studio for posh and gold-plated toilets of course they purchased it for four million and put five million of renovations into it inside the house they said they had a life-size model of audrey hepburn why (laughs) and a jungle themed leopard print room brooklyn their son he was just a little baby at the time but so his room had a $30,000 dome night sky built into it. So it was like he was sleeping out of the stars every night. He also had a $13,000 treehouse, which was like jealous. I would love to climb around that thing. My goodness. But then they told this little story about when they were getting into their properties about how a crown prince of Dubai named Sheikh Mohammed, he spent $1.6 billion to create a man-made islands in the Arabian Gulf. It's known as the eighth wonder of the world, a.k.a. Palm Island. Paschenbex purchased one of the properties in 2005. They didn't say for how much, but I'm sure you could only imagine. They went on to talk about their cars. You know, of course, they had the usual. An Aston Martin, a Jaguar, a Range Rover. custom Lincoln, four Ferraris totaling $1 million, a custom-made Bentley with all the names of the family embroidered within the car, and two fully armored BMWs totaling $625,000, and their car collection at the time was estimated over $3 million. So just like J-Lo was compared to Liz Taylor in her episode, the... Beckhams were also being compared to her for their similar affinity for diamonds. Who can blame them? David proposed to Posh with a three-carat $65,000 engagement ring. She said yes and came right back and reproposed to him with a 7.5-carat ring for $80,000. So she went up to him and also broke gender norms. So good for her. I love that so much. <laughs> I know. She's like, all right, I'm going to propose right back to you with the even bigger and better ring, David. She's like, so. step it up. I mean, three yeah. carats is really big. I'm not trying to say it's not big, but for celebrity standards, it's not as big no. as the gigantic stones we see. She got him a 7.5 carat ring. Like, I'd be like, why don't we trade, honey? Yeah, <laughs> I think she was kind of like throwing shade, Loki. Like, this yes. is an engagement ring. <laughs> In 2001, you know, David made $2.5 million just to be turned into the star player of the Sony PlayStation soccer game at the time. And the big money comes in 2002. David was making $8 million playing for Manchester United. 
And then in 2003, he made $40 million when Real Madrid bought out his contract and then promised him another $10 million per year. He also got $3.4 million with an endorsement from Pepsi and $150 million from his endorsement with Adidas. So like, that's the big bucks. That's when it gets kind of bonkers money. But it is worth noting, Posh still makes $2 million a year in royalties from the Spice Girls. So yeah. Hell yeah. And it was interesting when they were filming, they said Posh was working on her own solo album, which I like, Hmm. I don't remember her ever coming out with anything, but she had signed a $2 million record deal at the time for this solo album. And this was obviously before she started her own fashion line, which she has now, and I'm sure is extremely lucrative and pulling in a ton of money. At the time, they estimated that the Beckhams were worth $113 million, and they predicted that they would be billionaires in the next 10 years, which... I would say is likely true. Damn. Love them together as a couple. It's crazy that their kids are already getting married. That is bananas. I know. (laughs) So let's get into the next episode that we want to detail. Let's talk about the Olsen twins. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand (laughs) why we'd be so excited to talk about Mary-Kate and Ashley. I'm only human and I was a tween girl in the early 2000s. So naturally, I grew up obsessed with them. (laughs) I actually met them in an elevator in Bloomingdale's when I was a little girl. My (gasps) mom spotted them and basically like shoved me and my sister in the elevator with them and their bodyguards. (gasps) And I was like so starstruck. I literally didn't say one word. But from what my mom tells me, they were really sweet and were like asking me and my sister questions like, what are you you guys doing today? Are you having fun? And I just feel so lucky that we had role models like them growing up. These girls, they did everything right. You never read a story about them being rude or snarky or even we know that the media had a fixation with teenage girls and girls in their younger 20s partying, doing normal age appropriate stuff. You'd never catch them in a news article doing anything even a little bit controversial. They were just super hard workers and seemed to keep to themselves and make a shit ton of movies. And this episode taught us also a shit ton of money. Mary, I really want to hear from you. Were you more of a Mary-Kate or an Ashley? I think I identified with Mary-Kate just because of our shared name. That was something that immediately drew me to her, I would say. But I definitely was more Jane Ryan in New York Minute, if that makes sense. (laughs) I'm more of a Jane Ryan. I think that was like the magic of Mary-Kate and Ashley because we could project so much. You can already project so much onto one person that you don't know. Hello, our parasocial relationships episode. Uh. But with two of them, I mean, you could be all the dualities of yourself in either Mary-Kate or Ashley. I was Mary-Kate as a child. I always wore a backwards hat. I was a huge tomboy. (laughs) But then as I got older... It's no surprise to anyone who listened to even one episode. I was totally boy obsessed. (laughs) So I was an Ashley who Mm -hmm. was like obsessed with going out and like her friends and fashion and boys. But now that I'm older, I feel like I'm more of an Ashley who wants to be more of a Mary Kate and be more of that like free spirit vibe. Like I want to go thrift some chic clothes somewhere. So enough about us. Let's talk about (laughs) this episode that chronicles their billion dollar empire. And again, this is from 2003. So they're even richer now than they were back then. But back then, they were the richest self-made teenagers in the world at the time. And this episode hooked me right in. As Mary said, they have to start off with some shock value. 
So this one starts with, of course, we get our man Chris going, the typical teenage girl. She wears <laughs> Gap jeans, drinks Coca-Cola, and hopes somebody will ask her to the prom. And I'm like, yes, that's still me, even though I'm 30. And then he's like, but 17-year-olds marry Kate and Ashley aren't dreaming of a better life. They're living it. Uh-huh. And then he goes on basically to shit on every 17-year-old girl's life. <laughs> Everything they want, Mary-Kate and Ashley have. And then <gasps> instead of going to their prom, Mary-Kate and Ashley hosted SNL instead. Pretty <laughs> iconic. So there were some fun moments that stood out to me. Obviously, they mentioned their cars. Mary-Kate and Ashley, I always associate them with these huge Range Rovers. Yes. They were these tiny little girls with big bags, big coffee cups, getting into big cars it was just it really evoked this nostalgic image of seeing all those paparazzi photos of them somebody on the episode also estimated that the twins got invited to up to a hundred events a week and like i don't know about you i can't go out two nights in a row or else i'll perish so speaking of their parties their event planner for their 16th birthday was interviewed in the episode and she described herself and her services as quote the black credit card from american express a little expensive (laughs) and i was like why didn't mtv get them for my super sweet 16 i would have died to have seen that so obviously we have to talk about the clothes because mary kate and ashley are obviously fashionistas this was before they came out with the row though um and they were huge style icons for our time so they talked about their designer clothes their seventy five thousand dollar rolexes <gasps> i mean i put a rolex on my christmas list one year because i thought that was <laughs> <laughs> and my parents were like are you on drugs like i <laughs> Are you okay? Like, this is not normal for a little girl to want a Rolex. So when the episode came out, also, the girls were just going to NYU as freshmen. And they showed their new multi-million dollar penthouse in the West Village. They actually Uh bought two units and renovated them, which I feel like is really sweet and sisterly. Uh I love that they still wanted to live together, even though at that point they definitely did not need to. This episode also mentions that iconic July 2003 Vanity Fair cover shoot with Uh the Olsen twins, Amanda Bynes, Hilary Duff, and Mandy Moore. And once again, our man Chris comes in with the one-liners and he's like, yeah, those girls are hot, but Mary-Kate and Ashley are on fire with a <laughs> net worth of 10 times larger than the other girls combined. Oh my God, the other girls combined? I know that this level of wealth any of us could argue it's unnecessary it's excessive, like why does anyone human need that much money when there's so much suffering in the world? But I have to say these girls had good business counsel from when they were really little because how many child starts have you heard about whose parents or business managers just squandered their fortune but instead the Olsen twins parents did such a wonderful job Uh. managing their business because most of their wealth comes from their own businesses that they co-founded they started acting in full house when they were nine months old and they eventually made $150,000 per episode but when they were just six years old they became co-founders of their own entertainment company called dual star entertainment which sold all things mary kate and ashley across every lifestyle category name a product and mary kate and ashley had an item with their name on it perfume (laughs) clothes it grossed more than one billion dollars by the time that episode came out and they also under the dual star entertainment name had a production company it is so iconic if you google it you'll recognize the logo right away because it was one of those logos that come up while you're watching a movie right before it starts with the opening credits and they went on to produce so many movies like it takes two 
Billboard Dad, New York Minute, and <sighs> their shows like Two of a Kind in so little time. Okay, so I went on a Two of a Kind rabbit hole last night and I watched oh. like the first six episodes. And I was reminded that Ashley has a crush on a boy named Pokey Valentine. Like, it's so funny because I remember thinking like, oh yeah, Pokey Valentine. That's like a totally normal name when I was like watching yeah. it as a child. And I'm like, Pokey Valentine? That sounds like a placeholder that they just like kept in the script or something. Ugh. Also, I was reminded that <laughs> Two of a Kind featured a little Orlando Brown. Well, anyways, you guys all need to watch it. It's on YouTube and you bet your bottom dollar that I will finish this whole series. <laughs> So their Mary Kate and Ashley line made $400 million in one year. And then the show mentioned the countdown to their 18th birthday. And I got an ick because that's ick. But in this instance, they weren't talking about anything except them coming into their trust fund of $100 million. Damn, girls. Oh, okay, good. Because I was going to say that also gave me an ick and I hope they didn't get exposed to some of the predators that we know existed in the industry at that time. I, don't, I haven't seen anything about it. Good. I don't know, but I, I just really can't say enough good things about Mary-Kate and Ashley. I feel like all the interviews that they decided to include in this episode also, it's them just saying how hard they work, how, you know, they never want to leave the wrong impression with anyone. I just can't imagine growing up with that kind of spotlight and that kind of access and that kind of money and not becoming a total asshole. It's yeah. pretty amazing. I think they have a lot of poise and a lot of grace. And I freaking love them. Dumas says they have finstas and I want to know what they are. I feel like they're the kind of girls who would post like a wine glass yes. in like a beautiful French Riviera setting. <laughs> so that was the fabulous life of Mary-Kate and Ashley. <clears throat> My favorite all-time episode of this show that I cannot for the life of me find anywhere was the Oprah Winfrey episode. I know, though, that it was season two, episode 20. It was released in 2004. So I'm not making it up. It's not a false memory. But all <clears> I can <throat> really remember vividly from it is this one detail. I remember that it distinctly claimed that Oprah paid $50,000 per year to upkeep an eyebrow. That's $100,000 a year on her eyebrows alone. Oh. And that's why Oprah's the freaking go. And never for one second looks unkempt. I freaking love her. Wait, now I need to go really study her eyebrows because they must be like pieces of art. They're perfect. They're literally perfect. Thanks. I just remember that stuck in my mind. If anyone I, can find this episode or has a clip of it, please send it to me. <laughs> I think she's been the richest woman in the world for like many, 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 many years. She yeah. deserves it. Okay. I wish I could verify that for you, Mary, and talk about what they think her net worth was back then. But unfortunately, but I can't find the episode. They, they wiped the internet of these episodes. The only ones I could find were like the 2014 ones, you know, right. and that's not our era. So that's a good call. A lot of these episodes are posted by like fan accounts of a lot of these like celebrities that were recounting. So thank yeah. you all for doing the hard work for us. Yes. You guys are the real goats. Okay, so final episode that we'll detail today that I was able to dig up and I remember really loving mm -hmm. when it came out was Little Kim. Freaking iconic. I'm obsessed with her in so many ways, but rewatching this made me love her even more. So this was 
a season one episode. So it was released in 2003. Just as Mary, you know, as we talked about before, <laughs> this episode starts out with a very informative history lesson on the humble pasty and how Lil Kim made it a part of everyday wear. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I think Lil Kim, I think of a pasty. I think That's, of several yeah. pasties, in mm-hmm. fact, come to mind. So I think they really did her well in representing her impact. Her impact. <laughs> So some fun facts from this episode. Lil' Kim really invests in her look. She pays $2,000 per wig. She pays a manicurist $3,000 to $5,000 a day for her services. <gasps> One of her favorite manicure looks was shredded $100 bills instead of nail polish. Mm-hmm. And it took five $100 bills to do both hands. Oh my, was there imagery of that? There was imagery of it. So you need oh, to watch the episode. It was good. Yes. Apparently she's a big nail girl. She would adorn with feathers or gems and she'd often paint her nails to match the interior of her cars. I mean, that's attention to detail. I really Ooh. respect that. So let's talk about clothes. Kim's looks are just iconic. When I think of Kim, yes, I think of her music, but I think of that purple hair and that purple pasty, that like mermaid type look. I think it was from one of the VMAs. And this girl loves designer clothes. Who can blame her? She has Mm -hmm. rooms in her house that are named by designers to help keep her designer clothing collection organized. (laughs) Because to say that she has a closet would be a vast understatement because she has entire rooms just dedicated to one designer's. She has a Versace room for all her Versace looks. She has a Chanel room for all of her Chanel looks. I mean, if only, if only. Lil' Kim has more than 2,500 pairs of shoes. I mean, imagine Mm. the storage space needed. Like, you would just need a full house for that. You'd be the woman who lives (laughs) with her shoes like that Sex in the City episode. Allegedly, she spends twenty dollars to $30,000 a month on her wardrobe, which who can blame her? And the show also touched on that while she loves clothes, she did favor skimpier clothes. As our narrator says, Kim's clothes are always top dollar, but minimum (laughs) fabric. Oh, my God. But, like, I get it. If you've got it, flaunt it. Like, she works so hard for that body. Like, if I was her, I would wear a bikini literally every day to, like, the bank. So I want to touch on her fur collection. I don't want Peta coming for us. This isn't an endorsement of Mm -hmm. any kind. But Kim, it's worth noting, had, at least at this time, a chinchilla bikini. And one of the people who was interviewed was getting a little spicy. And he was like, what does it keep warm? Your ass crack? Like, Uh haters to the left. She can wear whatever she wants. I mean, we're not endorsing fur. But, like, if you wanted to wear a bow for a bikini, like, you can wear that if that's what makes you happy. So another theme that came loud and clear in this episode, Kim's love of her pets. It looks like from the photos that she has a Pekingese. I have a puppy sister. Her name is Princess Diana, and she's a Pekingese. (laughs) These dogs, man, they have designer clothes. They have diamond dog collars. They also have their own fur jackets, which the ethics seem a little (laughs) interesting to me. But listen, you'll never catch me knocking somebody for spoiling their pets. I mean, pets deserve to be spoiled. And this show, one of the reasons why I loved it then, and I still love it now, was the intros and the transitions. They show this clip of Kim is in an interview, and she says, diamonds are a girl's best friend. And then the narrator's like, and Kim's got a lot of friends. (laughs) I just love and then they go and detail her jewelry collection which includes a 30 carat belly chain which costs like forty thousand dollars so that made me think of you and your Britney belly button yes (laughs) so Kim had a ton of endorsements too of course her incredibly successful music career is like the bulk of her wealth but she also has these endorsement deals that just 
pile on candy shoes, iceberg jeans, old Navy, mm. Mac cosmetics, notably along with Mary J. Blige. She raised more than $4 million for the Mac AIDS foundation. We love someone who does good with their time and their resources. So love Lil' Kim. And she was also, when this show premiered, in the midst of opening her own custom car garage. Like, ah. pick my ride, watch out. X and Z exhibit. You're going to be out of a job. I had no idea. That's incredible. She just was such a trailblazer and deserves everything that she got in this episode. We love her so much. And we love all of you for listening to today's episode. And if you loved this fabulous episode, please leave us five stars. And continuing with our trend, we promised if you leave us a nice little review, we'll read and shout you out on air. We appreciate our listeners so much and each little referral, five-star rating, and review helps us and helps the show. This week, we are reading a kind review from Brady Baby. And it says, Kelsey and Mary are hilarious, charming, and thoughtful in their Y2K commentary with the perfect amount of sass. Loving it. Well, Brady Baby... We are loving you. So thank you for writing us a wonderful review and giving us five stars. We appreciate you. And thanks to all of you for listening. Yes. And quick heads up. We are taking next week off for the 4th of July holiday. So no new episode, but you can follow us at when they popped pod on Instagram to keep up with us. We're always posting fun memes and throwback photos. So definitely make sure you're giving us a follow there. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>